How much empathy does your work culture have? The Chinese use two characters to represent the word crisis. One denotes danger, the other opportunity. My guest on this episode of the Work Positive Podcast says most work cultures have an empathy crisis. This empathy crisis is dangerous because we miss connecting with our work and each other. And yet the empathy crisis is also an opportunity. Let's focus on the opportunity today and discover how you can bring more empathy into your work culture so you work positive today. Welcome to the Work Positive Podcast with your host, executive coach and culture architect, Dr. Joey Fawcett. Discover strategies and tactics that work positive as Dr. Joey talks with industry leaders who create a positive work culture that attracts top talent and reduces team turnover. Discover how you can create a work positive culture that increases productivity and profits. Here's your host, Dr. Joey Hey, Work Positive Nation. So if you were to rate empathy in your work culture right now today, not what you wish it was, not what it used to be, but right now, right here today, on a scale of one to 10, with 10 being, I can't remember the last time someone was empathetic around here, to a 10 being, we've got this one nailed. We are empathetic with each other. Where would you rate yourself? Now, don't say seven, because that's what everybody says when you ask them to rate something from one to ten, right? Uh, and don't say five, because that's the second most often response. But honestly, what what would be your rating from one to ten on empathy in your work culture, and why? Today's guest says there's an empathy crisis. And in fact, he brings a University of Michigan study on board as his provocateur of his own research into understanding this empathy crisis. We all know because Goldman made it so popular, you know, that emotional intelligence, empathy sits on the top of the pile. And yet how many of us really cultivate a work culture that is positively empathetic. Today's guest is going to help you with that. I am so excited to introduce you to award-winning author of Tell Me More About That, Rob Volpe. Rob, thanks so much for being on the Work Positive Podcast, man. I'm excited to have you here. Thank you, Dr. Joey. I'm so excited to be here and, and speak with everybody today. Really appreciate the opportunity. So, how would we rate your work culture, right? I mean, you're the empathy activist. What are you you creating in your company? Yeah, let's talk about that. So uh, my company, uh, Ignite360, which I founded 12 years ago, we're a marketing research firm. So our job is to understand how our clients, consumers, or customers think and feel about different topics, products, you know, their behaviors and help them make action. So you'd think we would say, I would say, oh, yeah, Dr. Joey, we are a 10. We (laughs) get it. And while we are, you know, at the the front of the pack, probably on empathy, I like to be honest um, and have a little bit of humility and vulnerability and go, you Mm, know what? Please. We're probably like a 6.5 to a 7.5 or an 8, depending on the day and the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say that for myself as well, even though I am an empathy activist, um, because we're human. And we are all challenged by different situations. I write in the book that I was born brown-eyed and judgy, just like the other members of my family. It's like the dominant <laughs> 
Um, and so I have to work at it. My judgment comes up um, at different times, you know, and, and you're, you're always just put in different situations where you're challenged. What's interesting, typically when I'm giving keynote addresses ahead of that, I'll do a little survey and I'll ask people that question. How would you rate your own empathy skills? How will you rate your organization or the business unit that you support? The interesting thing that happens, and I use a five-point scale, but typically people will rate themselves higher than they will their organization. So they might give themselves a three-five, maybe you know three-seven. They'll give the organization the highest I've seen is like a three-two. I've seen it as low as a two-seven. Hmm. But one of the things I like to remind everybody when I show that um, the slide with that data in it is that all of those individuals are the organization and they make up the organization. So there's a choice people have in how they want to show up and what they want their organization to be. Um, and that's usually, you know, it's important because we are all playing a role. It, it is not just from the leadership. Leadership plays a critical role, but everybody plays a part in building an empathetic, positive culture. Mm, yeah, we do. Interesting, the distinction we make between ourselves and the organization, isn't it? Uh, I mean, I think cognitively, we would all assent to the fact that, yes, organizations are made up of individuals. And yet there's a disconnect there between our understanding of our own empathy and the, the cultural empathy. Yeah. And, you know, and then it gets interesting, like typically... What's been coming up, um, people will give their organization high marks for how they handle personal situations. Somebody, you know, death of a colleague or a colleague had a death in the family or, um, you know, making accommodations for COVID or other kind of situations mm -hmm. like that. And then when it gets into the work itself, that's where the empathy falls apart. And I wow. actually, I gave a, a, a three-hour uh, presentation training session to one organization earlier this year and was invited to the, kind of the cocktails and dinner afterward. And two of the members of the audience came up to me afterward and they're like, you know, yeah, I get the, the empathy and I think it is so important, but we just get too busy. We get too busy to have empathy. <laughs> and it's like, okay, well, wait a minute. Let's unpack this for a second. Um, you know, what is, let's go back to what I was saying. Like, what is empathy? How does it show up? How do you use it? And it's in those moments where you think I'm too busy. I'm so stressed. That's when you need to pause and take that curious breath, mm. make the space to actually, and it, it's, we're not talking about days or weeks. It can happen in milliseconds. Mm just choose to approach something differently mm. and to think about it differently. Well, busyness and stress must contribute to the empathy crisis then because we don't think we have time or the emotional bandwidth to be empathetic with each other. What are some other contributing factors, Rob, uh, to this Absolutely. empathy crisis? It, it, this is this is really like the unintended consequences of good intentions and the death by a thousand cuts sort of thing. Mm. And it's been happening for a long time. So you referenced the University of Michigan study. And so mm -hmm. just context for everyone, the University of Michigan in 2010, um, they had done a meta-analysis of student life surveys from 76 different universities. Mm. 
starting in 1979 all the way through 2009. And what they found was that from 1979 to 2001, there was a 40% decline in people's ability to easily see the point of view of other people. Did you say 41% decline? 40% decline. 40% decline. Holy. So less likely to be able to easily see the point of view of other people. And then from 2001 to 2009, when they wrapped the study up, there was no change. It didn't go down further, thank goodness, but it didn't get it bottomed better. out. Huh? <laughs> right. So at Ignite 360, we got curious, like, okay, well, what, what does that actually look like in the adult population? And how many people are having challenges looking and finding, connecting, seeing the point of view of somebody else. And we found, we did a survey of about a thousand US adults, 18 plus, we found 31% were unable to agree with the statement, I can easily see the point of view of somebody else. Mm. So one third of the adults you're gonna run into today at work, at home, on the road, wherever you are, one third of them are gonna have trouble connecting and just seeing you as who you are and, and where you're coming from. That's really concerning. Um, one other piece of data, we and some data from last fall, surveyed 1,500 U.S. adults. We gave them a list of 24 different issues facing societies, from personal pocketbook issues to more societal things like crime, drug addiction, homelessness, uh, access to reproductive health, uh, access to health care, income inequality, uh, discrimination, all the different things. And one of the uh, um, things we asked people was their level of concern about our inability to overcome differences of opinion. That actually was fourth on the list of highest level of concern. The only things they were more worried about were the personal pocketbook, the food prices, the gasoline prices, and the home energy prices. So what that was telling me was that our inability to overcome those differences of opinions, our inability to solve the problems was eclipsing all of those big issues that we've got. So this is real legitimate. There's there's really a problem that mm-hmm. we've got. And so what we do with the five steps is to help people understand what you can do in the moment to, to try to get some empathy. Mm-hmm. Wow. And and I've got to tell you, Rob, I'm standing here thinking that uh, UM study ended in 09. I'd be fascinated to learn what's happened on college campuses and university campuses between 09 and 23. I, yeah. I can't you, imagine it got any better. Yeah. And Dr. Joey, I apologize because you would ask me, like, what was causing this? And I told you death by a thousand cuts. Yeah, Typically, sure. the things that were leading into that, you have to think about um the like globalization we're bumping into people that are very different from us it's Mm. not those old bubbles that we used to have which were confined to our neighborhoods we're now interacting with people from around the world and that challenges you it challenges your thought processes and the way that you interact with people Mm. we've also got um uh you know relationships to technology there's so many screens that are available now you go into a restaurant and you see that table of four and they're all looking at their phones and they're not interacting with each other Mm. the kids are raised kids need to have opportunities we're born with the ability to have empathy but it's like a muscle so imagine Mm -hmm. if you if you took your baby and you did not give it the opportunities to crawl and stand and walk and scoot and run 
you have to give them the opportunity for the muscle to build up. And empathy is the same way. It's it's like that muscle. Mm. Of course, there's social media and social media is all about validation. And it's all about me and make me feel better. Look at me instead of the we sort of mindset. So mm. that has also diminished it. Uh, you look at politics and the polarization that's happening in government. It's all now winner takes all and zero mm-hmm. sum and reality TV and the news all um, reinforces those messages. So we've got all these different things coming at us. We have algorithms that are keeping our bubbles very ideologically aligned. Yes. And, and you need to run into people that have different thoughts in order to, to really expand and, and practice empathy. So mm-hmm. all of those things are going on along with, yeah, I'm too stressed. It's too busy. Um, so therefore, why should I bother? Oh, yeah, for sure. And and that echo chamber effect is what I like to call it is just through algorithms, just daily reinforced in our, our feeds and the other things we're looking at as if it weren't hard enough to go out of our way anyway, to expose ourselves to the to the richness that comes with uh, so much diversity in the world today. Well, um, let's go through these five steps. And while we won't be able to exhaust it today, uh, Work Positive Nation, what we want to do is look at these five steps. And what I want to encourage you to do, Work Positive Nation, as Rob talks about each of these steps, is to make your own connections in your current work culture, too. How do we attract top talent around here? And what can we do from these five steps to attract top talent better? How do we, and I think this may be the the greatest impact on empathy, it, how do we reduce team turnover? You know, the attrition factor. Once we attract top talent, you know, the back door is larger than the front door. So empathy can make that uh, back door a mouse hole, really, if you're putting these five steps into practice. So, and of course, Rob along the way is going to name some challenges that we typically talk about. So, Rob, take us through these five steps briefly because we're going to get the book and read it ourselves, right? Uh, but take us through these five steps briefly and help us understand each one a bit, please. Absolutely. So uh, first step is dismantling your judgment. And this one is the biggest one. It's the hardest one. It kind of gets back into the amygdala and some of our root systems. Mm-hmm. But this isn't about not making a judgment. So don't get confused. You still need to make the decision whether you're going to walk down the dark alley or not or... Right the decisions you need to make at work. This is about being judgmental. So an example that I often uh, like to give, I, I pick an article of clothing that I'm wearing. I'm wearing a blue polo today. You may not like dark blue, but I do. I made a judgment. I made a decision that this is what I was going to wear. You, however, might be judgmental about this particular item. Maybe you think it should be a different brand or a different shade or doesn't look good on me. Those are all your being judgmental. You're casting aspersion on me. And that has no place um, because that, that creates that brick wall or noise canceling headphones so that you can't really hear and connect mm. to the other person. Mm. That's step one. Step two, ask good questions. This is about asking open, non-leading questions, exploratory questions. So you want to be able to ask people. um, So for an example of this, instead of asking somebody, um, how do you feel about working in the office again? 
that's, or how do you like working in the office again? That's a leading question. And that's telling somebody subtly like, oh, I need to give a positive answer here. (laughs) But if you say, what do you like about the physical spaces that you work in? People could tell you anything. They could share something about the cafe. They could share something about the um, their home office, their their workplace office as well, the office office. Mm. And you need that breadth of of information and that learning if you're really going to foster a, a work culture and a work environment that people want to be at and be engaged with in the future. Absolutely. Um, and Rob, if I may, right there, those questions are discovery questions. That's the way we describe them in our our coach training Um, and they're they're rooted in curiosity. So Mm -hmm. I think that first item about releasing judgment ties right into how we ask questions, because if I'm just looking again for that echo chamber to reinforce some a priori assumption that I'm making, then I'm going to say, hey, here's what you think, but I'm going to ask it in in a question form. So if I can just remain curious and suspend that need to judge right on through that question and receive gladly, uh, or as you're about to tell us, actively listen to that response, right? Then, um, man, I just learned so much more about the person and we're able to work together so much better. So I tipped your hand there for the third step. It's active listening, isn't it? Third step is active listening. And this is about really paying attention, looking at the nonverbal cues. It's not just the words that are being said, but the gestures, the expressions, the environment as well. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Dr. Joey, we were talking about our pets and I gave you a heads up before the show started. That I may have a cat show up. I'm looking. It's not yet. Not yet. <laughs> They're still asleep. <laughs> They're still asleep. Um, but they may show up. You'll, we never know. But it's important to understand that because if, if you see you're on a, a Zoom or a Teams call with a, a colleague and they've got you know a kid doing a cartwheel behind behind them a good chance that they're distracted, that they're not fully engaged, but you can ask them a question about it and just say, hey, do you need to take a minute to address that or is everything good? And and bring that human element into it because by mm-hmm. doing that, people are going to feel safe and seen and heard. Um, and that's going to build a stronger connection, which is also going to help uh, with your retention. And, it, it, and even if you're doing that when you're interviewing people, in that a talent attraction, the more you engage with somebody on a human level, the more open your your organization is going to seem more empathetic, and that's going to be attractive to people. Mm-hmm. So actively listen, pay attention, trust your gut, listen to what the person's saying, follow the speaker's lead. Mm-hmm. Fourth step, integrate into understanding. One of the biggest misconceptions people have about empathy is that to have see the point of view of somebody else, I have to give up my own. And that's absolutely not the case. And that's what this fourth step is about. This is about opening your mind up. Again, curiosity comes back into this. It's a theme all the way through. Um, but making room in your head that there are other ways to view the world and instead to be curious about it and open and seek to understand, because then you can start to compromise, collaborate, work together towards a positive outcome. Hmm. Fifth and final step is use solution imagination. Some of my favorite, well, all the stories in my book are, are favorites, um, but <laughs> the, 
I, some of the more powerful stories I think are in that section in the book where using solution imaginations, when you're hearing, you're taking all of this information in and you're using it to inform the next question so that you can get deeper and further into empathy. So again, as you're doing more discovery, you're taking these things in and you're starting to imagine, hmm, what might that be like for them? What's the next question that I can ask so that I can uh, learn more? Mm. I love that solution, that that uh, pairing of solution and imagination. What is something that you discovered in your research, Rob, that keeps us from, well, I like to use William Blake's phrase, willingly suspending our disbelief, right? That we can be empathetic towards another person in this way. What, how do we willingly suspend our disbelief and trust our imagination to move towards a solution. Yeah. The, I think one of the key themes to all of this is self-awareness mm. and turning that on and being aware of the thoughts that we're having, how we're showing up, what might be getting in our way mm. so that you can dismantle the judgment. You want to be cognizant of the questions that you're asking. Um, I often talk about taking a curious breath. So when you yes at stimulus and response. I learned from a, uh, a, a Blue Angel pilot once. He talked about that gap between stimulus and response. And it's in that little gap that you want to get in and take a curious breath. You know, when you take a breath, it expands your, your lungs, you're making space, and you can then get in there and choose to turn things and make a different choice to go down a different path. But mm-hmm. you've got to have self-awareness, you've got to have the courage to do it. I think a lot of the time we're just in a functional get it done sort of mode. And so the challenge for people is to elevate yourself up out of that and and kind of function from a higher place. But that takes time and it takes a... It takes grace. Um, You know, I I often, I talk about the four kind of actions you need are the self-awareness, the small doses of courage to make a difference, practice the five steps, know that we're not perfect. Like I said, I'm a three, five or a seven, five on on the scale we were talking about earlier Um, and have grace. We're human. It's about progress, not perfection. Mm. What's important is that we're trying. Mm. Mm. And and working those steps towards moving forward. Well, what happens so oftentimes is when I and I'm thinking about this in a larger scale of a positive work culture, when I become aware and and foster that there are other ways of thinking about this and that I can take a step forward to this other person and I'm aware that I can do that, that tends to bring a response of awareness on their part as well. Hey, I see what Rob just did. He asked me that question. He's genuinely curious. He's seeking to learn more about me. Um, and uh, viva la difference, right? I mean, we're celebrating that together. So uh, that engenders a similar response. Now, uh, the stimulus doesn't necessarily trigger, a, or maybe I should choose a better word. The stimulus doesn't necessarily prompt a response. Sometimes, Rob, it prompts a reaction. And that's when I lack that curious breath, right? I'm just simply giving what I've received or what I've always given because the ticky tack boxes in my head have categorized this person in a certain way. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's really hard. And again, it's about that self-awareness. Recognize you're not going to get it right all the time, but it's important to try. Um, and so when you are feeling, you know, somebody's coming at you and you're kind of leaning back on your heels a bit, pause, take that breath and think about it. And, you know, and a lot of times it's something that comes in over an email or it's something you see on social media. There is nothing requiring you to reply right in that moment. I actually, I, I, uh, just this past weekend, I had a three day curious breath moment. Um, <laughs> so you held your breath for three days in curiosity. <laughs> my lungs were so full. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, I got an email from some clients. I wasn't happy about it. My, uh-huh. uh, you know, and, and, and so what happens? You get an email and you feel like you're having a conversation, but you're really just communicating and you want to just like mm-hmm. hit back right away and reply. Oh, yeah. And I thought, no, I'm not going to do that because I need to think about what I want to say and how I want to say it. And Mm -hmm. so I took a through it. And then, of course, that was Friday afternoon. Like this can wait till Monday. They don't need to hear from me immediately. Um, And so I paused and that gave me time in my head. It's like an exaggerated version of the curious breath Mm -hmm. where I'm through all the feelings I was having, I figured out, thought about different ways to to respond and the outcome that I was hoping to achieve. And then on Friday or on Monday, I was able to sit down and craft a better response that was much more open and, and going to uh, be positive um, mm. than just hitting back right away. So mm. you have to be aware, though, of what's happening and, and how you're reacting. And you're not going to be able to do it every single time but acknowledge the times that you do and reward yourself somehow, pat yourself on the back, start to build a a pattern of behavior where that becomes more of your natural uh, reaction and response. Mm. Mm. I love it, Rob, because Rob Volpe is my guest on this episode of the work positive podcast. And we're talking about how empathy informs your, your positive work culture. Rob, I, I certainly want to be gracious with the other person as we're doing all these things we're talking about being non-judgmental or, or seeking to that. But hey, man, sometimes I got to be gracious with myself. Yeah. I just got to give myself a break. Like, okay, Joey, this is the free space on your bingo card. You can tell your stomach's churning. You can feel your blood pressure going up. You know, this you're you're about to send back a scorched earth policy answer. And and so it may be, you know, that you need to take a step back and breathe. I gotta be gracious with myself in order to be empathetic with you, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You have to understand where you're coming from and forgive yourself. Mm-hmm. So that is about yourself when I talk about it. It isn't about the other person. Um, it's about forgiving yourself, recognizing where you're coming from, and having the courage to make a, a different choice. And that's where the awareness increases, because I'm now able to take a breath, to reflect, recognize that I may not be at my best self with what I'm about to say to my coworker or this customer, right? Uh, or client. And and so let me just take a step back and, and think this through. Uh, I'm fond of saying things like, uh, I need a little time to think about that. Uh, when is a good time for me to get back with you? Yep. Or to say something like, I'm not smart enough to know the answer to this question, but I know somebody who is. 
Oh, by the way, sometimes that's my best self that's not showing up in that moment, right? So, so let me go back and confer with them, and and I'll get back with you. Absolutely, those are great examples, um, and and we all just need to practice that more. Yeah. So, what happens, Rob? And I, and I know we're about out of time, but tell us the success story of a work culture that chose to be positively empathetic, and the results that they were able to achieve. Yeah. So again, it starts, you know, leadership has to be on board and start to try to practice this. And we all have to have grace and forgiveness with them because we're all human and we don't always get it right. Um, but then the, the organization has to start doing it. So mm. the stories that I hear are about how teams end up collaborating differently together or sales organizations that are able to connect with their audience better. Mm. Um, whoever their customers are and actually listen to the needs of the customer. And then, you know, empathy helps you with persuasion. You understand their needs, right. where they're from, you're able to sell to them better. Mm-hmm. Um, broadly studies have found that having an empathetic workplace um, leads to more retention. So there's more loyalty from the organization. People feel like they belong. There's more mm-hmm. of a sense inclusion and belonging um, are also able to be more innovative they're able to problem solve when they have empathetic leadership so there's a lot of different things that people are able to achieve Um, other other point of data i think 86 percent of people with empathetic leadership feel they're able to balance uh, work and life and all the struggles that, that kind of come up when they have a manager that hears them. And that's compared to like 40% when they don't. So mm-hmm. there's noticeable market differences when you've got empathy infused into the culture of the organization. It doesn't mean that the the company can't still make decisions and do the things they sure. need to you're still running a business, but it's about how you show up and how you treat people and how you want to be treated yourself. Mm, yeah. And those what what may sound like squishy you know, soft skills to some people really do drive, as my friend Larry Levine likes to say, hard dollars. It goes right to the bottom line because the innovation you're talking about, the ability to understand your customers and clients better and therefore have more meaningful conversations leads to a higher close rate. I mean, all these things go right to the bottom line. Rob Volpe is my guest on this episode of the Work Positive Podcast. Rob, somebody's been listening. I say, oh, I want some more Rob. How do they do that? I would love to to give them some more, Rob. So if they want to find me on the socials, uh, empath, look for Empathy Activist or find me by my first name or my name on LinkedIn. Put a lot of content out there. They can also go to my website, robvolpe.expert, rob, V-O-L-P-E dot expert. Uh, find the book. Tell me more about that. Solving the Empathy Crisis, One Conversation at a Time. I know the links are in the show notes. They are. Uh, yeah, and I would love to to connect and hear from people. Right. So if you're walking your cat, I guess I should say to you, Rob, right, or you're on the Peloton or something right now, working out as you're listening, driving down the road, whatever, um, all of that information is in the show notes. So Rob Volpe, uh, Work Positive Nation always wants to know one specific thing for my guest, and that is, hey, Rob Volpe, what's one thing one thing Work Positive Nation can do today to create a more positive work culture rooted in empathy? That is a great question. And the answer is to stop using the word why. 
don't ask why. You need to understand why, but don't use that word why. Reframe the question, who, what, where, when, and how, because the word why puts people on the defensive. Mm, I love it. Absolutely love it. RobVolpe.expert is the website you want to go to. Rob, thanks so much, man. I have learned a great deal. Oh, wonderful. We've got a cameo by a kitty. A kitty cameo. (laughs) I love it. If you're not watching this on YouTube or our website, watching the video, you need to to check that out. Hold the kitty up again and tell us the kitty's name. This is Domino, one of my three. They're all siblings. Uh, Barnabas and Solitaire are the other two. But yeah, she's the one that loves to snuggle during podcasts. Domino, thanks for making an appearance today. Just get your agent to uh, send us an invoice for showing up there, Domino. (laughs) Rob, thank you so much. I appreciate this time. I'm more empathetic because of our time together. And I know we've all learned a lot of practical skills and tactics. And we're going to run right out and get your book. Thank you so much, Rob Volpe. Dr. Joey, thank you. This has been great. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Work Positive Podcast. Please share this podcast with your friends who are HR and small business leaders so they can do one thing today to create a positive work culture that increases productivity and profits. I'd like to give you a free work positive course just for listening. It's called Something to Talk About, and it's transformed the work conversations of so many people all over the world. Get your free copy when you go to workpositive.today slash something to talk about, and you can start transforming your conversations today. Remember, it pays to work positive.